Welcome, welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Anybody have coffee this morning? Like in, in your so Yes, both hands in the air, Edwina. That was nice. I feel the exact same way. I've had two cups of coffee. I'm like ready to go. I'm going to have more later, and I'm going to be continually ready to go. And then, because of all that's happened in my life for this last week, this afternoon, I am going to collapse. Um, I just know it. It's going to happen. We've had a, a great week. I've personally had a great week. It started out really good. I was at a conference this week, and the conference butted right up against Warriors Weekend. But what was not so awesome about the conference experience, uh, just to be real with you, is I woke up, um, I believe it was Wednesday morning, and I had a ginormous eye booger in my left eye. Real talk, I did. I know, I see the look on your face. You have them too, don't judge me, right? Like it was enormous, and I, it felt like, I mean, I don't know, it felt huge. It felt like a, like a sweet gum like in my eye. And I was like, oh, that's no big deal. Like I'm, I'm going to get over that. And, and then I, I didn't get over that, and I was in Atlanta, and then I didn't get over that some more, and I thought, well, it's sinuses. It's apparently not sinuses. So if you see this left eye, like, tearing up, you know, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's just real. I'm just, that's just what's going to happen. So my eye's been messed up all weekend long, all week long, but you know what? It hasn't deterred me or what God did at Warriors Weekend. Warriors Weekend was, is our annual men's event. I believe we've done it four years in a row. It was fantastic. Great group of men. We talked about how um, we're to be a Boaz man, right men? And how a Boaz man is a mighty man of valor. That's what it was said about him. And we learned how to be these mighty men of valor, but then also how we need one another to do so. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Um, the men in your life should be there next year. It is great. And uh, we got to throw axes too, so that was pretty awesome. Um, but on to today. Today we're in uh, another week of Kicked in the Faith. And what we've said throughout this, this series so far is life is going to bring you challenges and sometimes we're going to feel like you're kicked in the faith. Sometimes you're going to go through a challenge and you're going to say, wow, is my faith for real? And sometimes when we, when we get kicked in the faith, it's just to kind of stir us to wake us up because we can become spiritually sleepy. And sometimes God just brings us through something and just like nudge us a little bit, be like, hey, come on, wake up. We got something for you. Don't stop. Don't settle. Wake up. There's something, you know, you need to, to move into your destiny, move into your future, and, uh, and move into your purpose. And sometimes God does that. And then sometimes God completely just disrupts our life and he brings something to us where we can't avoid it, where it's not just bumping us. We feel like we've been just literally kicked and, and yet we kind of then wake up and then kind of it doesn't just stir us, but then it equips us and moves us into action. And we also said in week one of this series that really what a Christian believes, and if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here and that you took a chance on this gathering um, just to be with us. We believe that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe that if, if someone can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, we need to lean into him. And we need to listen to what he says, and we need to follow um, his lead. So that's what we do. And we, uh, in week one of the series, we said that, that really kicked in the faith that our faith rests on a resurrected Jesus. And without the resurrection, like some other things come into question, but because of that fact, historical, theological, everything pointed to the resurrection. Like we lean so heavily into that. And even when our faith is tested, we lean into that. Again, that fact. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you're parents, have you ever had any, did, did you ever go on field trips with your kids? Anyone? Moms, dads, anyone? Field trips? Did, did, were they fun for you? 
I hope they were fun for you. I mean, when they're, when they're little bitty, it's, you know, it's like hurting cats, and it's not really fun. It's like, hey, they're here, and we made it back alive. Good. Go to your room. Like, it's like you don't even know what to do. I, I didn't mean that in a harsh way, but it may have sounded that way. It's like sometimes you just get through um, then when they're younger. But I, I have actually made it a point when, the, when my kids were younger to always go on field trips. So I've gone, when we lived in Florida, I was on field trips, Illinois field trips, and then also here. The very best field trip that I took was to Agarama. Who's ever been to Agrama down on right off 75? It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I loved going there, and it was great. It was a full, like, immersive things for the kids because the kids had to dress up, and they had to actually do stuff. So it wasn't just, like, walking around, shuffling around, like, looking at a museum. They literally had to touch stuff. And, uh, and I thought about all the boys, and, like, they touched a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff. And, uh, and we got to go into this one place. It was the... The, the blacksmith's like little tent area. I don't even know if it was a building, like a little tented in area. And, and the guy, he looked, he looked like a blacksmith. I mean, he had like soot all over him. I mean, he looked like he'd been doing work that day. And he came out and he had his full apron on and the whole nine yards. And, and, and he invited the kids into this little tent. And it was amazing to see what happened next. Some of the kids were curious as, uh, as he, he had a forge and he would take his Rebar is all he was doing. He took the, the rebar and it was heating it up and he was, he was revving that thing up. He'd get it red hot and then he'd take that rebar and he'd put it on the anvil and then he'd hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and stuff would fly everywhere. And, and not all of them, but most of the girls, as soon as stuff started flying, they took a step back or two just in case something was going to happen and some of them were looking for the exit. Some of them were curious, but at the same time as, as most of the girls were moving backward, Guess what the boys were doing? Forward. They were more and more interested. So I'm like, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm in full dad mode at this point. I'm having a great time with G. And it was just she and I and all, all of her, you know, her classmates. So we're just having a great time. And he's bang. And he's bang stuff, stuff's flying everywhere. And she's like, she's kind of getting, I think, kind of afraid. And I was like, I'm not afraid of anything. This is great. I'm watching the, most of the girls go that way, and she's wanting to go that way, but I'm holding her hand, and then I'm kind of holding her there, and the boys are going forward, and I stopped to think for a minute. I was in dad mode, and I was like, these kids don't have eye protection. <laughs> like, this is, I know, Mom, some of, you like, some of you are, like, really proud of that. You're like, man, a dad actually thought about the safety of my child. That's great. Um, I don't know not all guys are that way, but some are just like, ah, we're having a good time. Sorry, he put his eye out, you know? It's like, we're just, <laughs> we were there together, and... You know what I mean? So, it, so we're in there, and I'm seeing these boys, and the, the blacksmith is like, oh, everybody go over there and put your glasses on. So then they had to go put glasses on. Those boys are so curious. They're looking right at the forge, and he's banging the stuff. And not only that, he let the kid, whoever kid, whatever kid wanted to, he let them do it. It was so neat. So we're watching something change right before our eyes, and they're, they're turning this thing in red hot, and then they're banging it, and they're forming the metal, and they're shaping the metal. This becomes a metaphor and a reality for what we're going to talk about today. Because the people of God, um, about 500 years before the birth of Jesus, in the prophet Zechariah, he, God delivers this message through Zechariah. And this is the metaphor that God would prompt Zechariah to say about this forging of metal, this creating something that's pure, this idea of of, of moving and shaping and, and chiseling and forming. And God was forming a people. Let's see what happens in Zechariah 11, or excuse me, Zechariah 13. Uh, just in case you haven't been in Zechariah in a while, if you just 
if you go to your Bible and closer to the end of your Bible and you get into the Gospels, you can flip just past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go to the left, and you're literally going to go two names over. You're going to hit Malachi, and then you're going to hit Zechariah. And we're going to see uh, this, uh, we're going to see how this shapes up with Zechariah. And the interesting thing about Zechariah is he's a prophet. And prophets in their day, I was thinking about it this morning. I literally was at Starbucks kind of prepping myself and drinking coffee again. Um, and and, and I, was, I was kind of sitting in this and I thought, you know what? Who are the modern day prophets? Of course, preachers are and for sure. But there's so many people who are like wannabe prophets these days. There are so many people who like the wannabe prophets who hide behind keystrokes, you know, and hide behind screens and type messages. And they like they, they kind of push an agenda, whether it's political, whether whatever their, their social, spiritual, whatever their agenda is. But like there's so many people who try to be prophetic and they, they just like the keyboard ninja. Got him. Zinger. Bam, zinger, you know, kind of doing that whole thing. And so many people try to be prophetic and they try and hide behind something. Many people do. They hide behind this and you never see the real person. And when it came to the prophets in the Old Testament, they were front row center. They were amongst the people. Everybody knew who the prophet was. Zechariah wasn't someone who was hidden off some area deep in the desert where he would just like send these, these cryptic letters to the people. They could see him. They could touch him. They could feel him. He was there. And because of the role of a prophet, and the prophet had to deliver whatever the news was at the time, and oftentimes it was bad news for the people because they had disobeyed God. So because of that, the prophets were mistreated, many times hated, didn't have a lot of friends. It was, it was a lonely calling. But yet they stood their ground and they declared God's message. To God's people. And again, this is near about the, the, the dark ages, as what some have, have called, of the 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. And what he's going to talk about here is, is really just kind of a jump in time. He, he's going to say, he's going to talk about, again, 500 years approximately before the birth of Jesus. And now he's going to skip right over the time in between the Old Testament and New Testament. He's going to talk about some events that would eventually happen in around 66 A.D. But he's giving this message to the people. And, and it may seem like a little doom and gloom, but that's the reality. The, that as God was moving and trying to change these people, God used the messengers to bring his message. So let's see what this message would be. We're going to start in verse 7. And just a couple verses here, and then a couple other passages. And then I want to drill down on some, some things that I believe need to be chipped away from your life, just as they need to be chipped away from my life. So we're going to drill down on these, these things that need to be chipped away, and I believe they're lies, and they're things that Satan uses in our lives to keep us from where God wants us to be. You good with that? Right or not, here we come. All right, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now, sword, you think of sword as you can just kind of replace that with Rome. Again, this is something, he's a prophet. He's telling a future event. There's a consequence to their actions. This thing is coming, he says, and Rome is coming. What's interesting is Rome is not even on the map yet. Like, okay, Rome the city was, but not the Roman, Ar the Roman Empire and the Roman army, not like it would be. 
Like they're not even there yet. They're not even formed yet. And now God sends this message through Zechariah to these people. And he says, I want you to know what's coming. I love that about God. He, he lets you know what's on the other side of the curve. That even when, they're in the, when we're in the midst of a struggle in our life, God doesn't keep us in the dark like we think he keeps us in the dark. He lets us know that we're going to be challenged. We, we are going to, to face trials. He even lets us know that we are going to be tempted. But he also lets us, it's not him that tempts us. It's Satan who is the tempter. Back to the text. Awake, O sword, that being Rome, against my shepherd, that being whom? Jesus, the good shepherd. Against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. The man, the man Jesus. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. The phrase little ones, it doesn't mean children. It means those who are, are weak, those who are not striving and those who are not honoring God in the way that they ought to. And he says that these people are going to be helpless. The little ones, it's saying they are, they're helpless. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Two-thirds, think about this. Two-thirds of the people are going to be struck down and perish. But, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. And I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Uh, sit back for just a moment in this passage. And, and I'm, I'm, I've been moved in looking at this passage since I first studied it because I looked at this and I'm like, okay, two-thirds of the people are going to struck, be struck down and perish. Of course, you should be moved. There's loss of life there. That's the consequence of their actions. And yet God is, is not purifying those people. Notice this. Go back to the passage. He's not purifying those people. They no longer are alive. Instead, God is purifying who? The other third that's, that's remaining. That God is purifying the remnant. There's a promise in the Old Testament that God was sending a remnant. No matter what God's people were doing at the time, God being faithful of saying to Abraham that he was going to create a nation of people and that through Abraham that his name would be great and this nation would thrive. Sometimes that nation, it didn't seem like it was thriving that much, but it was just a remnant that was thriving. Sometimes it wasn't all of the, the 12 tribes or, the, or even the 10 in the north or the two of the south. It wasn't even that. Sometimes it was just, it was just a remnant, a small amount of people. But notice about these, this third. What does it say that God is going to do for them? For them. Back to the passage. This third I will bring into the fire. This third, this remnant, my people... I'm going to bring them into the fire. Now, you would think it'd be the other way. Like, no, 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 we're going to let the other two-thirds burn. He says, no, but we're going to bring them through the fire. We're going to go back to this idea in just a moment. Awake, O sword, verse 7, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is a, a prophecy in Man, if you haven't read your Bible in a while, read Zechariah. It's so, so interesting. There's so many prophecies in here that point directly to Jesus. 
There's this, this idea of uh, striking the shepherd. This is talking about Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is what um, Jesus would actually pick up the same passage in Matthew 26, 31 through 35. This is what it says. And Jesus is quoting this verse the, the night before. Actually, the, I have two passages. Both of them are the night before his arrest. So he's quoting this passage the night before his arrest. Think about this. This is what Jesus said. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is connecting the dot back to Zechariah. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of me, some of you are familiar with this. He says, even if all of you, if, 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 even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Wow, that's kind of presumptuous. We know how this story ends, don't we? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Didn't turn out that way, did it? It seemed like even a message from a little girl scared, scared Peter after that. So he says, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm here with you, Jesus, no matter what, until he saw what Jesus had to endure. The same thing that Zechariah pointed to, that, that the shepherd will be struck. And you strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And the sheep that would be scattered were the, were the disciples, the early disciples. In John 16, 29 through 33, we see another connection. Again, the night before Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Jesus said this to uh, his disciples. He says, now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech. Excuse me, the disciple. Then Jesus' disciples said this to Jesus. Now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that, that you know all things and that you do not even need anyone to ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Jesus answered with this. Yet you believe at last but a time is coming and has come when you'll be scattered, each one to his own home, and you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, but my Father with me. Again, now, John, the beloved disciple, now he too connects back to this passage in Zechariah. Beckoning back from hundreds of years, and he says, I'm connecting these two points. And what, what is so amazing to this is, and what's really lost in, in most people's understanding of the Bible, is what he's bridging the gap between also the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and New Testament where we have no, no scriptural writings. So he's, he's drawing from all these years, and in the middle are, are some dark, dark years in the dark ages. So it's an amazing thing that, that, the, uh, that the apostles are doing. In verse 9, it says, This third I will bring into the fire, and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. The third is is the remnant. They are the remnant. It's interesting. The this is the same type of wording that the US Army uses now through their boot camp in AIT. They use the same type of they, they use the word hammer and anvil and forge, talking about the, the making of a soldier. 
that you go in there green, you go in there either coming out of high school or in your 20s, and you come in there not a soldier, but yet you go through this process. The, the hammer, the anvil, and the forge, and then at the end, it produces a soldier. Couldn't help but think about that today with Austin being at Drill Weekend. And yet the fire, scripturally speaking, the fire was used to produce the purest of metal. And the trials are used to produce the purest of faith. The fire, all over the scriptures, there's this mention of fire and refining people. The fire and refining people. And it talks about refining of gold and silver over and over and over. And this idea that gold and silver were valuable then and they're valuable now, but this idea that God's people are also valuable and that God refines them. And yet they have to go through the fire. And just as the fire was used to produce the purest of metal, now God uses the fire, the trials of our life, and they're used to produce the purest of faith. There's nothing in, in your life that you have endured or that you will endure that have not been sifted through the hands of God. God has a plan and purpose for you. You are not an accident. What you're experiencing right now is not an accident. What you will experience in 15 years, if you're still on planet Earth, is not an accident. Receive it as if it has come through the hands of God. Good or not good in our eyes. But yet God can make good out of every circumstance and even the fire. In Proverbs 17.3, this is what it says. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Again, that was Proverbs 17.3. But the Lord tests the heart. That God is not just bringing us through something, but He's also producing something in us as we go through what it is that we're going through. As we go through the fire, as we go through the trials, as we overcome obstacles, and, and as God brings us over the setbacks, as God takes us through the steps of our life, as we try and to try and navigate life and trying to, to do it in the shortest way possible, God says, no, 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 I've got a better plan for you. It's not going to be the shortest distance between two points because I'm trying to change you between these two points. And God will, will allow certain things to happen in our lives to create in us, to, to produce something in us, to produce ultimately Christ-likeness in us. So the Lord tests the heart. In Psalm 66.10, this is what it says. I love this because now we see the, this, this proverb saying just kind of an overarching idea that the Lord tests the heart. But now we have a psalmist who says it from the other perspective. This is what the psalmist says. For you, O Lord, tested us. You refined us like silver. So it's like, yes, we know this truth from God, but now the psalmist is saying, yes, I know it from my perspective. You tested us. I have assurance that you have walked you, you have walked with us through this. You've drawn us through this. And you have refined us like silver. That yes, we have endured this fire and the trial. But you did something in us. And I love that. That's just an amazing thing. It's like you see it from both perspectives. 
You see that God says this is going to happen, and then God's people says, this happened. And they're rejoicing in the fact that He did it. You see, the test and circumstances for our life are to be constructive, not destructive. If we would just embrace this for the rest of our days, that the trials and circumstances of our life are constructive for our souls, constructive for our relationships, constructive for your parenting style, constructive for your personality, constructive for the influence that you're to have in your workplace, constructive in your marriage, constructive in your friendships. Everything that God will bring you to do is to be something that is constructing something in you, not to destruct but to construct, to build up some things. If we would simply go into it, and I understand that you say, well, yeah, God is also destructing, you know, it's just the reducing the destruction of myself and building up of the Spirit. I, I, I totally get that. But if we would go into it and look at the positive aspect, I believe that that would, that would ultimately change us and we would have a, a better outlook because outlook determines outcome. So if we would actually see it as, man, maybe God is up to something, and maybe what He's up to is good, that we would lean in and trust Him more. So God is constructing a person whose faith is pure and whose life is an example. God is, is old, this is what God is up to in the world today, in your life. God is constructing a person whose faith is pure. That's the reason why the fire is there. That's the reason why the trial is there. Because he wants to construct a faith that is pure in you, but he also wants to allow you to have a good example for those around you. Also, it says in verse 9, that, and this is what God says. Now, notice this. Let's go back to the passage. This third I will bring into the fire. Okay, we covered the fire, the trials that come with it. I will refine them like silver and, and test them like gold. So God says, I will do this. To refine, it means this. It means to purify oneself. To purify oneself. That's what this word means. I will refine. I will cause you you to have a life that is purified. To purify oneself. He says, I, the Lord, am going to help you do this. That, That the work of God in your life is to construct you to be a person who is who is a, a, a person of noble character, a person who has an expanding influence, a person who isn't crippled by trials, but sees through the lens of faith that your outlook determines your outcome and your outcome being that of hope and an ability to persevere where your faith is then built up and not torn down. And that through that, people would see your life and they would see your witness And you would evidence God's grace. Refining purifies the believer from the lies that keep us from lasting change. Refining purifies the believer from the lies that keep us from lasting change. Now I want to give you seven different things, and I'm going to camp out on these. And this is going to be the bulk of this talk. And as, as we get to these seven things, 
I want you to, to pause for a minute. and Maybe you need to, to write, maybe if there's something that's triggered down, you're somebody who doesn't normally write things down. Maybe if there's something that is put on the screen, you're like, okay, I need to really, I need to really lean into this. I would just, you know, encourage you to do so. Don't just allow this just to be a list that goes on the screen and then for you just to say, oh, well, that was neat, and they all begin with you. That was really interesting. I'm moving on. Like to sit on these and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to churn in you and to move you to action. And the reason why we, we, this refining, why we need the refining is because every sin has a deeper story. Every sin has a deeper story. Every sin in, in our sin nature, it creates a false narrative. A false narrative that needs to be chipped away from our lives. A false narrative that we may need a trial to, to purify us. Uh, every sin, it creates not only a false narrative, but also at times it creates a false lifestyle built off of that narrative. But they're rooted in lies, and they help form more lies. So let's look at what some of these things are. A lie um, in, in believing this, just the unworthiness as a person. Unworthiness of, of, as a person, like you're just unworthy of change. I'm, I'm, maybe you believe that you're just unworthy of anything good. Maybe all you see is just the, not the highlight reel of your life, but all you see is the negative things you've done, the bad things you believed, and the past you've lived. And because of that, there's a sense of hopelessness, a lack of peace, and you feel unworthy as a person. Maybe for you, it's just the unwillingness to be wrong. Maybe the lie that's been created, you're, just, you're, you're unwilling to be wrong. You're like, nope, I'm right. doesn't matter. And your, your pride and your ego has just reinforced this false belief to where nobody can tell you anything. So a trial may come and all you do is get mad. Or all you do is push away from other people. Or maybe all you do is get mad at God. It's because this idea and this unwillingness to be wrong Maybe you feel undeserving of God's love. And maybe this started when you were really young where you didn't have love modeled in your home. Or maybe it was out of balance where you had love from one parent or, or you know, from one parent and not the other parent. Or maybe you, you were only raised by one parent or, or, or one caregiver. And because of that, just love has been really confusing for you. And maybe the, the sin nature has kind of taken hold of that, and now you've been living out this lie that I'm undeserving of God's love simply because you didn't have love modeled for you. I want you to know that God so loves you. He so loves you. And He knows everything about you, and He loves you anyway. And there's nothing you can do to shake that kind of love. Because it's a love that isn't from you, it's from Him. And it's not contingent on how well you perform. And the reason why I can say that we deserve God's love is not because of we've done anything, it's because of it's just who God is. 1 John 4 says that God is love. Like everything about God, God is the fullness of love. Maybe you feel just unmotivated, you have an unmotivated spirit to pursue change. Just an unmotivated spirit to pursue change. You're just like, ah, 
I got my, I got my fire insurance. I got saved when I was younger. I don't, I don't really need to change. I know I'm going to heaven. I mean, Jesus gave me salvation. Now I get to live for me. And, and, and your spirit is unmotivated for change. I just want, if that, if that resonates with you, I want you to know that's not even the Christian life. The Christian life is, is rooted in, in a person receiving Jesus by faith and then also growing in Christ-likeness. The two are together. It's not like, well, I get to grow up in my faith you know, when I become an adult or, or I, I become a parent or maybe when I retire, I'm going to really get serious about my faith. No, no, no. It's like it's woven into you're into a life of faith. When it's rooted in Jesus, as soon as a person gives their life to Jesus, it's a package deal. They're to per, be pursuing Christ's likeness, training ourselves in godliness. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. Training ourselves in godliness means that there are things that, that, that we need to have formed in us, and there are things that need to be torn down in us, and yet we, so that we would produce Christ's likeness. That requires some things of us saying yes to the Spirit of God when He leads us to change. Maybe for you, it's just unbelief in God's goodness. Maybe you look at, you try to read the Bible, and all you see is, it seems like negative things about God. And you're like, where's where the goodness of God in that? I tell you, this isn't the place to end. This is the place to begin. Look what Jesus did. Would you not say that that was the greatest act of goodness? Just, out of the, just the, the righteousness of God extended to the, un, to the unrighteousness of man that comes through surrender? Like that, that Jesus Christ would, would live a perfect life, that he would die just a, a criminal's death as an offer of salvation for people who deserve death? Like to me, that is like the, the most epic sign of God's goodness. And maybe it's because of, again, maybe your upbringing and there's a script that you believed where you just, you just have a lack of belief of God's goodness because maybe your home wasn't very good. And maybe your home was very difficult and, and you've had to live your life where you just had to take care of yourself and you had to shut other people out. You know, there's a, there's a reason why, many reasons why ultimately, but there's a reason why when a person gives their life to Jesus, that then they're, they're part of the family of God. And that the family of God, as, we have, as every person who's truly in the family of God, has surrendered to the, the call of salvation and the call to discipleship. And now we're walking together, and now a Christian is bound to the truths that are in this book. That you're, you're the, as being part of the family of God, the family of God should look significantly better than your earthly family unless every single person in your family is part of the family of God. So maybe that the idea of, of God's goodness has been lost with you because of things that you've endured in your childhood. And I just want you to know that if you, if you indeed are a follower of Jesus, you're part of the family of God. Like there's so much goodness there that's being extended to you. And to me, the sixth one is this, an unrelenting desire to be right. To be right. This, this type of lie is a person who's 
who's always climbing to make themselves look better than other people. They always want to be right. They want to be right when it comes to anything theological, when it comes to anything at work, anything political, anything social. Like, I just want to be right. And it's just, just this desire to always strive. And this is also rooted in, in, in the sin nature of mankind. Again, it's just this idea of being right. And what's rooted in this lie is if I can be seen as being right, then I can feel right about myself. And then if I can feel right about myself, maybe God will look at me and see that I'm right. And yet the Word of God says that no one is righteous, no, not one. There's no one who's just right all the time. So that's just not the right way to go. It's only through Jesus and the righteousness that He gives to us can we be right, can we be right with the Father. And then the last one. The unintended consequences are just normal. This again is a sense of of hopelessness, meaning that I've lived my life, I've, I've reaped a whirlwind of it. I've done whatever, I've made my choices. I, the, the, the lie behind this is I can't change. I, I can't change. And because I can't change, this is just the, the unintended consequences, and now they're just normal for me. And now I'm just stuck with them. And let me tell you, there's some amazing things that happens, not just in salvation, which is an incredible miracle. Every time somebody comes to know Jesus, every time that I've had the opportunity to share Jesus with someone where I obeyed and I shared Jesus and they submitted to Jesus, that's incredible. Don't get me wrong. But you know what also is incredible? When you go through things like the several conversations I had at Warriors Weekend, and I know we have them at church all the time, we have them in community group, when people, they lean into the truth of God's word and they start changing. That is amazing where they don't have to accept their brokenness and saying, well, this is just my normal. This is just my normal. Something is is amazing and just seeing God work in that way. But yet. This refining, again, it purifies a believer. This refining, it purifies a believer from the lies that keep us from lasting change. This refining, this process, the the trials, the fire, the things that we go through, the things that that, that tend to, to make us to lean into God, where we're tempted to lean away from God, every one of those trials is an opportunity for God to chip away at those lies and lean into Him, seeking His goodness and His best for us. Psalm 11, 5 says this, the Lord tests the righteous he tests the righteous and this is a great thing because if God didn't test the righteous that means we would not be able to change that means that that we may have eternal life but we wouldn't have abundant life do you know that a walk with Jesus is not just about well I get to be in heaven with God the Father one day but you can start living with abundant life today. And part of the abundant life is just this this peace that the world cannot offer. This understanding about the life and how things actually work. Things that are only spiritually discerned. That those who are not in Christ, they can't see it. But it's one of the wonderful gifts 
about the abundant life is to be able to see and understand and perceive the world that we live in. So the next time that you feel like, man, God, you really kicked me in the faith in this one. You should say, praise God. Because that trial, that fire is refining you, chipping away at those lies. So you can be more like him. That's the big idea. Now, I know that when we come in here and much of this is, has been talking about someone who has a walk with Jesus, and that's incredible. But also I know that in these, in these settings, sometimes somebody doesn't have a walk with Jesus. And, and I want you to know that, that to have a walk with Jesus literally just comes with surrendering. Just telling Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner. It's saying it in belief. So it's matching words and actions, words and actions in, in the intent of your heart. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And I know that you are the Savior of the world. Please come into my life. Save me and change me. Make me new. And if you say something with the real intent of your heart, and you say it and you mean it, in accordance with the Word of God, that is how someone gets saved. It's not cryptic. It's not mystic. It's as clear as that. If you have not surrendered to Jesus, and, and right now there's, there's a pit in your stomach, there's something that's stirring in you, and you're like, I just don't even know. Like, I know that God wants to do something, and I feel, I, maybe you don't even know that, that, that it's God wanting to do something, but you feel like you need to do something. I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we're going to be dismissed, but I would love to sit and talk with you if you would like to talk with me about how you too can be saved. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for your, your kindness and your love and your mercy. I thank you that, that the fruit of the Spirit, that you are the fullness of all of those things, and yet your word is true in saying that, that, you, that you prove us that you prove that our hearts are true by the trials and by the fire that we endure. And you test us in this way to produce Christ's likeness so that we can be witnesses, witnesses of the resurrection, given evidence of the power of God in a person's life if they will simply surrender to you. Jesus, we say thank you for the cross. We say thank you that, that you made a way. You made a way for us to be right with God the Father again. And you so clearly stated that you are the only way. That Buddhism is not the way. Some tribalism is not the way. The way is not through Islam. The only way to be right with our Heavenly Father is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank you that that's clear and that after someone commits their life to you that we too can live by faith and also live by fact that the resurrection is true. Amen. Amen.